Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Let's go. Happy birthday, City Church. Come on. Three years old. Super, super cool. Uh, Grateful to be gathering with you guys today. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to be here and gathering in the middle of an almost blizzard. Thank you guys for taking the space to show up and risk your lives. Kind of, maybe not. I looked out the window and I was like, oh no. And then I went outside and I was like, oh, just kidding. It's just false alarm. Hey, but today, uh, it's kind of that weird space of, of um, wanting to celebrate and needing to celebrate, rightfully so, all that God has done over the last three years since we launched City Church and also just recognizing world events. And so we created some space to pray at the front of the service. And, and just a heads up, in case you're interested, we, we really do value prayer here at City Church. So every week at 945, our team is gathering here to pray before the services. You're always invited to that. So we're constantly creating space to pray. But I wanted to celebrate this morning. By the way, did everybody get a Lego on the way in? You got a Lego? Hold up your Lego if you got one. If you're online, you clearly didn't get a Lego. Got a Lego, got a Lego, very good. You're going to need that in a minute, okay? It's important, very important. Me and my kids worked hard on this. It's going to matter. But before we get into uh, the message today, I just wanted to just take some space to celebrate. There's way more than we can celebrate in, on, on like a platform in a Sunday morning, but there's a couple of things that I wanted to just kind of put in your ear so you know, man, what God is doing and what it's all about. So my wife and I, we moved here with a call from God to plant a life-giving church in and for the city. We knew we weren't showing up to create a weekend service, but rather a church that was in and for the city and that how we served and how that we loved, that was how God was going to use it to make an actual difference. And our mission was clear from Jesus to help people find their way to God from where they are. And when we had that call, there was lots of people in our lives, coaches and mentors were like, that's a terrible idea. Do not go to Boulder. Do not plant a church. It's just a really, really bad idea on all of all accounts. And so we started to do some like study on why God was calling us here. And we found out that a little over 93% of our population here in Boulder is disconnected from any kind of faith in relationship with God whatsoever. So it's a little over 93,000 people that would not have any kind of relationship with Jesus. But then in addition to that, we found out that Boulder is affectionately called the church planting graveyard. They're like, that's where church planters go to die. Don't go there. And so, you know, if you want to make a hero of yourself and whatever, by all means, but you're just going to walk away with your tail between your legs is what they were saying. And so we found out 39 out of the last 40 churches over the last 10 years that have planted in Boulder have closed before they ever got to year five. And what's heartbreaking is, is since we moved here, we've seen two more churches, two more church plants closed since we got here. And so those stats were kind of staggering. And if, if it wasn't for God calling us, we wouldn't have moved here with a vision to plant City Church. But what's, what's amazing is that we launched City Church in, in March of 2019, and today we're three years old. Guys, we're still here. Like, that is a win. I know it's kind of a weird win, but genuinely still here. So as we celebrate, um, I just want to just acknowledge it's been a hard three years. Some of you guys have been around since the beginning, and some of you are brand new to City Church. And, and, and there's this funny story of, like, you look back, and there were some really hard years. Like, there was one Sunday that we were so small that it was depressing to meet in here, and so we met in the lobby, like, in a circle of chairs. And there was one Sunday, there was four of us, myself, two staff members, and a neighbor. 
right? Two of them were paid to be there, okay? And, and it was like, oh my goodness, what are we doing here? And then a pandemic showed up. Like, like, that's just great for a brand new baby church. So let's go through that. Let's go online. Let's see if we even remotely survive that. You have no idea how to know how people are doing. Everybody's freaking out. And then by God's grace, we do a grand reopening in January. We have no idea how that's going to go. People are still freaking out about masks and all of that. And then by God's grace, over the last 15 months, we've had first-time guests every single week up until last week. Put your hands together together for how God is building his church. There's roughly 100 people that call City Church home on a regular basis here, and God is doing amazing things. But like, let's just be honest, it's been a hard year, right? It's been a really hard year. It's been a hard two years, maybe three years, depending on when you're showing up. Um, but it's also been a year for good, specifically because we've been here for good. And I just want to remind you that there is no City Church without you and, and one of the, the best parts of a hard year is watching God use us in the middle of a hard year. We've seen 19 of our friends get baptized since we started City Church. Put your hands together for God doing an amazing work. We've given away, guys, I can't, even, I can't even keep up anymore. We've given away tens of thousands of dollars to local families and the missions agencies and heroes in our city and around the world. Uh, we, I mean, just amazing amount of generosity has flowed through this church with time, energy, and resources. Percentage-wise, we give way more money than any church our size probably ever should, and it's amazing how God continues to use that. We, we, we had the privilege of becoming a catalyst for massive amounts of fire relief as a result of the fires that just crushed homes and, and dispersed families over the last couple of months. And so we, we're working with national partners and we're working as a distribution hub and we're ser serving upwards of 70 families right now as they kind of try to figure out what it means to, to kind of get back to normal life. And you guys are crushing things like that all the time. By the way, Friday night we had our community night it was off the chain at Boco down the street. We had 83 of our friends and neighbors join us Friday night. Put your hands together for loving and serving well. And what's super cool is a ton of those people have never been to City Church. They don't go to City Church. This is not a place that they would maybe even walk in on a Sunday, but you made them feel loved, safe, and welcome. And I'm really grateful and proud of you for how you're loving and being a light where you live, work, and play. By the way, since we started, we've helped plant three churches. Two of them are fully self-sustaining as of today. Put your hands together for that. In the Denver metro area, we just took on a new one called Anchor Church. You're going to hear from them later this year. Since then, we've also supported two campus ministries here at CU. Put your hands together for that. Super cool. And in addition, we have two different engagements overseas. We're working in the Philippines and now in Thailand and getting to be, getting to be a part of feeding centers and rescuing women out of, of, of traffic sl slavery and, and things like that. I mean, God is doing amazing things because of your radical generosity. So put your hands together for all that God is doing in and through you. Now, there, there's way more. There's way more stories and way more we could celebrate. And I just wanted to give you a snapshot of all that's done. That has nothing to do with the amount of man hours we poured into the city and the community that we built and the lives that have been changed. And it's all because of you. So I just want to give honor where it's due, that there is no city church without you. But you know this, that there is also no city church apart from God's presence and power working in and through this community. And so, so to, to clarify, when we talk about worship, I, I don't know where your mind goes and what that word means to you, especially if you're like kind of distant from faith or wrestling with faith or not really sure where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. When we talk about worship, it literally means to ascribe worth to something. And so in our case, when we choose to worship, whether it's through song or with our actions or with our money or with our time or our energy or, or whatever we're doing, when we choose to worship, what we're doing is recognizing and responding to the greatness of God. That's what it means to worship. So we do it through song, 
But we do it through so much more than that. And worship is not a song that we sing, but a lifestyle that we live. And so today, I want to create space not to look at, wow, look how amazing City Church is. No, not at all. But look how amazing God is in and through City Church. That's the goal today. Not, not even that we made it, but rather that God has made a way. That as of today, three years in, friends, less than 6% of churches, by the time they get to year five in planting, are financially self-sustaining. And as of today, we are financially self-sustaining as a church in Boulder, Colorado. Put your hands together for God's faithfulness. Now, we're just getting started. We, we, we launched City Church on, on a few different promises, and I just want to, want to build some ideas in your heart and mind today. So let me show you a few verses on the screen. Matthew chapter 5. This is where the name City Church came from. You are the light of the world, Jesus said, a city set on a hill. It can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine, Jesus says before others, so that they might see your church attendance, so they might see your Bible reading, they might see how often you go to a city group, they might see your good works. Jesus made a promise that when they see our good works as Jesus followers, that it's going to bring glory to our Father in heaven. This is where the name City Church came from. That we are a church in and for the city, on mission with Jesus. Let me, let me show you this, Ephesians 2, this is amazing. Paul says that we, collectively, I love, by the way, pay attention to like the plurality here. Because you and I live in this Western, individualized, like everything's about us, and we love to feel good about ourselves. That's important. But he also has this collective idea that we, together, are God's masterpiece. You got your Lego piece? Yeah? I stole the one with the little spinny thing on it. You're welcome. No one else get this. I'm, I'm, I'm a masterpiece, guys. I'm special. All right, no, all right. We're God's masterpiece. He's created us new in Jesus. As Jesus followers, he gives us a new life, a new heart. We're born again spiritually so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Did you know that like, when God looks at you, listen, I don't know your spiritual journey, but when he looks at you, that there's a masterpiece I feel like I'm in a bunch of pieces sometimes. I don't know that I would call myself a masterpiece. I mean, sometimes I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, okay, you know, I mean, you did a good job, God, but, you know, there's some things that, that we could improve on. A masterpiece. Look at this, 1 Peter 2.5. You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. By the way, when, when Peter uses that language of priesthood, this is, this is a representative between God and man. So, so it's, it's immediately connected. Not only are you a masterpiece, but God is building something in you and through you and around you and with you like living stones being built into a spiritual house and a priesthood, taking it to the world. Look, at, look what Jesus said in Matthew 16. On this rock, in response to Peter's statement that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, then, then Jesus responds, you're smarter than you look. On this rock, on this truth that I'm the Son of God, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, Jesus said, will not prevail against it. Now, when Jesus used this word, I don't know what you think of when you think of like the church. So I have my kids. I said, hey, guys, will you help me, help me build a church? And so they helped me. Check it out. This is sweet, huh? It's got little doors. By the way, it was way cooler. It had like a crane on it with a tower and some cool roof things. I got bored and decided to take it apart and do other things. So this is what I was left with. Um, but, but they started, they look, huh? ha, check it out. It even had a toilet in it. 
to start. It was, it was awesome. Danielle thought I was going to make a joke, and I didn't have a good one. Um, I said, I, I guess it's where you can bring all your crap, right? Like, that's... <laughs> all right. That was obligatory, because Danielle was like, you're going to make a toilet joke. I'm like, I'm not. But now I am. All right, so, so I had my kids help me build a church, and I was like, hey, you know, this is a cool learning moment, and, and they did a good job. It's, it's got a little window. It's super cute. And then I, I took a moment, and I was like, hey, did you guys know that when Jesus, you know, just my four- and six-year-old, by the way, did you guys know that when Jesus talked about the church, that he wasn't talking about a building? But, but actually, when Jesus talks about the church, he's talking about people, and they, like, looked at me with glazed-over eyes and kept playing. <laughs> I was like, okay, maybe too early for this, this illustration. But then it was obligatory that we put wheels on the church, right? Because when Jesus talks about the church, this word church in the Greek, it's ekklesia, literally a gathering together of people. So, so it's not a location, but a people being built up, being gathered together on mission. It is literally the vehicle. Huh? That's... That's good, guys. It's the vehicle that God is using to bring hope to the world, light into the darkness. And listen, I don't want you to get all cliche and weird and spiritual because all of you have been in darkness in your marriages and in your own hearts and minds and in your relationships, in the brokenness of our homes and the brokenness that we grew up in and the brokenness that we then proceed to share with others. And Jesus said there's a light pushing back the darkness. And I love this language, the gates of hell. Meaning the church is the active agent, and there are some of our friends and our families and even parts of our own lives that are held captive in darkness, and Jesus says those things don't stand a chance when Jesus gets a hold of it. That's the picture here, to move into, Jesus talked about it as, as heaven coming to earth, darkness being dispelled. When we create community, when we love, when we serve, when we give, when we breathe words of encouragement over people, darkness is being pushed out. And so you and I are invited into this incredible picture of community. And just, just for the sake of, of time, when we get together and when we gather, we say it every week before our service, it's not about us. As Jesus is building something in and through us and with us, it's not about us. But what Jesus is doing in and through us is to help people find their way to God from where they are. And Jesus is doing it, right? I mean, I mean, can we just take a moment and put our hands together for Jesus building his church? Come on. It's so cool. And by the way, there's a big C church all over the world. We're four in Boulder and West in the world. Jesus is doing amazing things. And listen, because of you, we are a radically generous, relationally invested, consistently transparent, and outwardly focused church. That this church does not exist for us. We are the church. We exist for the world. We're willing to do anything short of sin to help our friends and family and neighbors find their way to God from where they are. And we're willing to do anything, whatever it takes, to meet them where they are and help them, help them take a next step. This is who we are. That's who you are. I don't want you to forget that. That when we gather, again, we talked about teaching being aimed at the mind and the heart. And we're talking about what it takes to, to lead into transformation. This is not a perfect community by any means. But listen, if you're new to faith, you're kind of wrestling with what you believe or even like whether or not you're going to call City Church home, man, this is a people where you are loved, safe, and welcome. So you got your Lego, yeah? Everybody got it? All right, all right. Hold it up, hold it up, hold it up. I'm gonna, not, all right, stand with me just for a sec. Stand up. little activity here. I don't want you to miss the reality that you were made for this. So take your Lego. Turn around, find three people, and give them like a Legos cheer, and say, you were made for this. Come on, right now, look at somebody, cheer, cheers them with your Lego. Come on, little cheers. You were made for this. 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 All right. Listen, quit having fun. 
It's not why we're here. I'm just kidding. All right, have a seat. Have a seat. You were made for this. I, I don't want you to miss it. Made for what? Made for what? That's what we're going to talk about. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been in the series called G- uh, Followers, and we talked about like the goal of following Jesus. And so real fast, just so you, you don't forget, what does it mean to follow Jesus? You can go back and catch all of this on our YouTube channel and our podcast, but it means to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and then what? Do what Jesus did. That's what it means to follow Jesus. This invitation to be an apprentice under Jesus, not just to come and sit, but to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. So we started talking about how do we change. We've been using this paradigm over the last couple of weeks, and so hopefully this has been helpful for you. Intentional spiritual formation is all the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us around three things. We talked about teaching. We talked about practice last week. Put your hands together for Maddie, who crushed it last week on practice. And this week and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about community. And specifically, how how we are transformed through community. And so when we moved to Boulder, we did some like cultural studies of like brokenness. And one of the top, like like just top three categories of what people were freaking out about and worried about. And, And the number one thing on the list was loneliness. Mother Teresa says it this way, that loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. That when it comes to transformation, you and I can't do it outside of community, but community is one of those obscure, challenging, difficult things to show up in. We, we are more connected than ever, right? You got a thousand Instagram followers, way to go you, but we are more isolated than ever when it comes to real community. And so here's my question for you and I today. Is there a way that Jesus did community that actually leads to personal transformation? Is there a role that other people play in my life and that I play in the lives of others that can lead to transformation and what Jesus called the good life? Could it actually lead to transformation in our homes? What what about transformation of a city? I think community is one of the catalysts, specifically as Jesus builds his church, which, by the way, is you. So when Jesus says, I will build my church, he's making a promise. I will build you. And Jesus is building you. You were made for this. So let's look at it. Let's look at Jesus and community for a minute and just see how, how transformation can come about, okay? So check this out, Matthew 10. I just want to show you Jesus in community, okay? So Jesus spent all night praying, and he picks 12 guys that he's going to invite into his inner circle, right? So all of you are Legos. You understand that, right? Like you, you've only got so many connectors, right? Like some of you extroverts, you're like the big Lego pieces. You got like, you know, 10 people that you can connect with, and other people are your introverts, and you got the one little, <laughs> you're like, that's my capacity, bro. That's all I've got to give, everyone's a Lego. You have a a connecting capacity. So for Jesus, it was 12 that he he invited into his circle, and then three that he had like a really deep relationship with out of those 12. So I want you to see who he invites into his circle. Now, normally you read this and you just read names, but we're going to dig in for a second. Check this out. Jesus calls the 12. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and then Andrew, and then James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and then Philip, and Bartholomew, and Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and then Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. How'd you like to have that? That is like your tagline <laughs> descriptor. Dang. All right, so Jesus picks a lot of guys. Might just be names to you, but I'm going to just kind of break it down. So think of personality, okay? You start living life with people. It's one thing to hang out with people you like, but like Jesus picks these guys. They didn't pick each other, okay? So think about it. You got Peter, which we know about him. He's kind of like a, this aggressive, abrasive, loudmouth control freak, you know, like, like uh, he, he's pretty, like, prickly. You know, he's kind of like a cactus, right? Peter's rough around the edges. And then you got, like, Thomas, 
who we know maybe later, you know, he's kind of timid and, and doubting whether Jesus resurrected from the dead. So maybe he's like kind of introverted and timid. So just imagine Peter and Thomas in the room, right? Thomas is just getting trampled on by Peter. Okay, so that's probably how that's going. And then you got Simon the Zealot, by the way. There's only a couple descriptors in here, so you might not think about it. But when someone's called a zealot, that's not a good, well, I mean, I guess it could have been a good thing for them. But it's, it's a guy that is violent using war tactics against Rome. So before Jesus calls Simon, this is the guy hiding in the bushes, like Robin Hooding people, okay? Like, I mean, I mean, by all means, way to go, dude. But like, he's a zealot against Rome. And then <laughs> you have Matthew, the tax collector, who works for Rome. <laughs> in the same, you imagine there's some political tension in the room, right? You've got the dude who's been stabbing people and running back in the bushes. And then you've got the guy who's robbing people for the government, and, and you've got to think about the character, right? Like, what does it take to get to a place to where you're okay inside, to where you can just rob your fellow people because you're getting a good payday, right? There's some crookedness in the heart there. But you've got two guys who, I mean, you imagine there's some tense moments every now and then. And then you've got Judas, right, who's like, you know, we, we know he watched the money, and he's probably like analytical and a little bit calculating. I mean, eventually he would betray Jesus. And then you've got James and John, which later Jesus would affectionately call the sons of thunder, which sounds really cool, except it wasn't a compliment, right? It was like they were super aggressive. They didn't listen well. One time, Jesus was in a town, and everyone in that town rejected him. And then the James and John, they were like, oh, oh yeah? Well, well, Jesus, why don't you just call some fire down on that town? Yeah! Jesus is like, do you not hear the love your enemy speech I gave? Like, what's going on? Sons of thunder. They were, they were a little hothead, kind of aggressive. So imagine this community living life together, okay? It's great, isn't it? I bet these were some hard dudes, okay? And by the way, Jesus does some incredible stuff to this community, right? So there's like the ideal of community, and then there's the reality of community over here of like, man, it's hard, and it's bumpy, and there's some aggression, and there's some hard things, and there's hard people to love, and everyone else thinks that they're the good one, right? And everyone else sucks, and they're all hard to love, and I'm just easy to love. That's how it works. But then later, like, James and John, I mean, it's amazing, right? Sons of Thunder. I just, I just imagine big, burly lumberjacks, right? Like, Sons of Thunder. And then, like, Mommy steps into the scene in, like, Matthew 20. You can go read it for yourself. So their mom shows up. I don't even know how this happens. Goes to Jesus and says, hey, um, you know, as you set up your kingdom and stuff, can my, can my boys be on your right and your left hand? Can they, can they have, like, positions of authority? Can you imagine... Sons of Thunder, Mommy steps in, is, is going for him. And then everyone else hears about it. They're not there, right? It's kind of in the secret. Mommy's doing, you know, her mommy thing. That's how moms work sometimes. Anyway, all right, and so that's happening. And then everybody else hears about it, and they're just pissed, right? Like, oh, you dirty sneaks, mama's boys, right? So all that's going on all the time. And then over and over again, Jesus shows up, and he's, he's patient with them, and he's teaching them. I just want to show you, like, not the most ideal community, but Jesus embraced it, Okay. But, but maybe you fast forward to Acts chapter 2. This is the early church. And check this out. This is pretty cool. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. This is after Jesus is resurrected and the church is blowing up. It's amazing. They're breaking bread and prayers in homes. Awe is coming upon every soul. Many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. Can you just imagine like on a Sunday, all floating and spiritual, okay? All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to any who has had need. And then Luke goes on and he tells us, um, that day by day, they're attending the temple e each day together, breaking bread in their homes, receiving it with glad, generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all people, and God is adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. 
You're like, yeah, man, like that is a great picture of the church. No conflict, everything's great. God's doing amazing things. And you fast forward to Acts chapter four and, and, and Luke tells us again that, that everyone was like of one heart and soul. You just braid each other's hair and have a great time. It's gonna be, right? I mean, it's kind of a floaty picture, but then literally you turn a page in your Bible to Acts chapter five. Everyone's selling their stuff so no one is in need. And then there's two people, Ananias and Sapphira, who kind of get wind of this, and then they decide that it's a good idea to pretend they want to look good, so they sell their land, but they, they, don't, they lie about how much they sold it for, and they're super generous on the outside, and so then they lie, and there's that community thing going on, and then when Peter finds out about it, they drop dead. Like, right, can you imagine, like, just Sunday morning, hey, like, can somebody help me carry this guy out? We gotta keep going, right? That's how they, it happened like that, and you're like, okay, so super dysfunctional, even on the front end, as you watch the book of Acts, and I love it, right? There's, like, conflict, and there's challenging moments. And so here's my point in all of this. I just want you to see when it comes to community, there's the ideal that all of us want, right? You have this idea of what perfect community, perfect church, you you have that idea in your mind. There's the ideal, even from Acts chapter 2. And then there's the messy reality because you realize every freaking person that you know is broken and messed up just like you. And so then you're like, man, how do, community is hard. Is it worth it? That's the question we're asking. And the invitation from Jesus is right in the middle. That discipleship, apprenticeship, transformation happens in the middle. A commitment to community, letting Jesus use the space between to form us. So, again, you were, you're made for this. You're made for this. On purpose, for a purpose, in God's image. But I don't want you to miss that you're also being made through this. That what Jesus is building in and through you, there's still work to be done. You are being made. You are being formed. And you cannot do that on your own. So let me give you this quote from The Relational Soul. This is a great book. If you're interested in picking up a a really helpful book on relationships and Enneagram, The Relational Soul says it this way. We are structured for relationships and by relationships. Our souls are relational at their core. We are designed for giving and receiving. We are neurologically structured with an attachment system in our brains and bodies that compels us to connect with others. We can learn to live more fully alive. When Jesus gives us this invitation to the good life, We can learn to live more fully alive with the help of others who truly care for us. He goes on, the authors do, and they say, healthy relationships are the result of both grit and grace. I love that. Grit, and you know that's reality, right? That's what it takes to stay married. It's what it takes to not like lock the door and leave your kids outside. It's what what it takes to not kill your boss or your coworkers. Like grit and grace is a part of like relative connectivity. When you get into community, it takes a lot of that, right? We have to do our part. This is the, man, God is doing something, but you have a role to play. We have to do our part when it comes to nurturing the receptive trust necessary for relational connection. But the capacity to trust and the receptivity it fosters is ultimately a gift. It is a gift emerging out of the deep, nurturing and receptive care of God's loving presence flowing through others. We learn to love well only by being loved well. 
And I realize this is hard because what this is semi-addressing is the reality that you've been hurt before, that relationships are hard, that trust is something we have to choose. And when you've got baggage and when you've been burned, it's hard to open it up again. So, like, I don't want to be hurt. And so we withdraw. But I want to give you a couple of observations just from the big picture here. And we'll dive into this over the next couple of weeks. But when it comes to community, again, we're more connected than ever, 2022. But we're more isolated than ever. And so a couple of observations when it comes to community. Number one, for Jesus, community is non-optional in discipleship to Jesus. Community is non-optional. You cannot follow Jesus alone. It's never modeled. It's, it's never seen. You cannot follow Jesus alone. It's impossible to separate Jesus in the church, but we have an entire culture committed to just me and Jesus in the mountains. Barna did a study asking people their preferred method of following Jesus. And 38%, the majority of the people that took this survey, the highest category said they prefer to follow Jesus on their own. <laughs> You've heard it said, I, I love Jesus. I just don't like his people. And, and, and for good reason, by the way, right? Like this is not, the church is like not blameless here. But what Jesus is building, we can be a part of. Number two, community is non-optional for a well-lived life. So the relational soul quote earlier kind of tells us that we're literally wired for relationships. And even if you're introverted, you still need it. Even if you're that little one-connector Lego piece, you still need relationships, right? Think, think about this, uh, the command earlier, to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. You don't celebrate on your own, do you? You buy your own little bottle of champagne and pop it in the kitchen by yourself and woo right? Like... Like, we, we, are, we are community by nature. Like, celebrating by yourself is super lame. <laughs> Mourning by yourself is not good for you, even though we choose to do that more often than not. Literally, just part of a well-lived life is this. Now, by, by the way, there's two concepts, two metaphors we see in the New Testament over and over again from Jesus and his early church. First is this apprentice or discipleship or following Jesus piece. The second piece is family, that we're called sons and daughters of God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're invited into the family of God to trust in Jesus and then to be adopted into his family. Listen, my boys, they're six and four. Sometimes they're great. Most of the time they're not with each other, right? And Grayson doesn't get to look at me and say, Dad, I love you. I just don't want to be anywhere around Asher. <laughs> Can we kick him out of the family? No, bro. You don't get a choice. We're family. We're in this together. And guess what? When you follow Jesus, you get his family too. That's the invitation. Number three, community is the context where we are transformed. So if, if again, our, our definition of community is going to be intentional relationships around the lifestyle of Jesus, okay? So not like just people you know, but more, more intentional. Two things that come out of this that I've talked about over the last couple of weeks are when we live life in community, it gives us both exposure and encouragement. I'm going to invite Daniel to come, and as he comes, I'm, I'm just going to kind of land the plane with a couple of thoughts here. But Two things happen out of people that are close to us, that know us, that love us, that are for us. Number one is exposure. That you are being formed, you are made, and you're being made through this. Peter Scuzzero, the guy that wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, a book that we highly recommend often, he says that we all have this shadow side, this space in our lives of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts. While largely unconscious, they strongly influence and shape our behaviors. This is that damaged, most hidden version of who we are. 
And the problem is not only is it hidden from others, but most often it is hidden from us as well. We need people who love Jesus and love us to help us when it comes to growing in the areas that we're weak. But the second piece is we also need encouragement. A healthy Jesus community around us. People who love you, they're not yes men, they'll tell you the truth, but they'll do it with grace. They're for you, they keep showing up. The only way to find healing, especially in terms of relationships, is to be in relationships that are healthy. And that's the paradox we avoid. So encouragement and exposure are two things that lead to our transformation. Another way to say it is that people who stay grow. When you're committed, you give space for God to grow you. The next thing is this. Community is not necessarily the same thing as a group of friends. Again, more connected than ever, but community, as, as we see from the invitation of Jesus is a lot deeper and more intentional. And so, you know, it's not like, you know, there's, a different, there's a difference between your bestie and your barista. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, to know someone's name and to be known is a very different space. And so it's being intentional. The next one is that community is the byproduct of commitment. Listen, we, we live in a transient city. People move here to play and have fun or for a job and the turnover rate is massive. And, and all of us ache for a community, but we also have this weird thing inside of us that wants options, right? Like, I want community, but I want to be able to like flip it around if that's not my kind of community. And so we kind of do this dance. And we also live in a culture that approaches relationships as consumers. That it takes time and intentionality to build good relationships. They don't happen overnight. It's hard work. You got to keep showing up. It takes time. A city group will last a couple of months on a semester. And probably at the end of six months, you're just now getting to know the people around you. It takes time. These are just observations. It's why we gather on the weekends. It's why we gather through city groups. And so I just want to invite you today to step into the, the, the beautiful, messy in-between where transformation happens through community. So a couple of just next steps in action and reflection for you, okay? Just no matter where you are. Number one, if you're not in community, I just want to encourage you. Get in community. This is all invitational. No pressure and guilt and shame. I know we all have our own stories and our own baggage and the struggles here, but get in community. Number two, stay in community. One of, the, one of the biggest pieces of this battle for transformation is consistency. Showing up is way more than half the battle. Number three, stay in community. Just in case you missed it, number four, stay in community. Okay, I don't want you to, you guys get it? Stay in community. It's a big part of it. Number five, Make it better by showing up as the real you. I know it's hard, but you're only going to go as deep as you're, you're allowing yourself to go. You can show up surface level for six months and never let people in. The real you is safe in community here at City Church. And lastly, I just want to remind you that Jesus is your model for commitment. I know this is hard because we all have different experiences of what relationships look like. But the relationship we define our lives of is not what our mom and dad did. 
not what our significant other did or does or continues to do, not what we've done in the past, not what's been done to us, but the one consistent relationship that we found is Jesus, who pursues us on our good days, pursues us on our worst days, pursues us after we haven't been around for months, pursues us when we said things we shouldn't have said and we did things that we shouldn't have done, pursues us when our hearts are hard and we don't want to say we're sorry and we don't want to, to, to come back and, and acknowledge the brokenness. Jesus shows up over and over and over again and he's committed to you. That's the kind of love that he carries and it's the kind of love we're invited to carry. And if you're like me, you look at that and you're like, that's impossible and that's exactly the point. It is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through you. And so here's my encouragement for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, all of this is absolutely an invitation for you, but first and foremost, I don't want you to miss what Jesus has done for you to make a way into community. That before I'm restored to you, Jesus made a way for me to be restored to God. Jesus has been pursuing me far longer and way before I ever even gave him a thought. And he's doing the same for you. That you're loved. Your performance doesn't get you into the family. The right behavior, the right words, the right thoughts. Trusting in Jesus is what does everything. Jesus did all the work. We get paid for it. Paul said that we're made new in Jesus. And some of you, you've never been made new. Jesus made me new at 15. I said, Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are. You can do in my life what you said you would do. And when I made a decision to trust in Jesus, he made me new. And he'll do the same for you. Adopted into the family of God. Made completely new and then being made new over and over again. Friends, you were made for this. You are being made through this. And, and listen, it's this that God is using as we go into the world where we live, work, and play to expose the world around us to God's radical love. Don't miss it. You were made for this. Let me pray for you. God, thanks so much for the time that we've had. Thanks for your love for us. That you would send Jesus in our place for our sins, to live a life we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve, to raise again like we can't. Not only proving that he was who he said he was, but then extending this incredible gift of a relationship with you. And Jesus, then it's amazing. We've been looking at it over and over again. The invitation is first and always to be with you. It's relationship. And from our being with you, we are then invited to become like you and do what you did. So all of us, God, we're, we're in different spaces in our relationships. We're in different spaces of woundedness or healing. But the truth is you've wired us for relationship with you and others. And so whatever our next step might be today, would you give us the boldness to step into that? Would you give us the boldness this week to show up at Citigroup as the real us? Would you increase our capacity to trust others? And would you, not rem would, would you remind us 
that in the same way you want us to show up for others. Jesus, thank you for being committed to us, regardless of how we act or behave. Help us to love others in the same way. It's in Jesus' name, amen.